Hey, welcome back to the Making Disciples Everyday Podcast. I'm Jason Dukes uh, with the Brentwood Baptist Family of Churches in Middle Tennessee. This is part of our Making Disciples uh, Podcast Network. And if you haven't checked out any of the other podcasts connected to us right now, one of them is a, a podcast on family. and. Yeah healthy families and what even being a family on mission is yep. link Taylor helps lead that with us. And so you want to, you want to search for that, check it out. Uh, we would encourage you to do that. And I'm here with, uh, someone that I really think a lot of and appreciate. And I know he doesn't always agree with me. And that's one of the major reasons I appreciate him because <laughs> he'll tell me when he doesn't. So Paul Wilkinson is, uh, is with me. Gotta have those people. I love it. The righteous crave discipline. Oh, yes. Because it restores us. Well, I don't know how righteous I am, but I actually appreciate your insights. So. But I, I do, I am thankful for what we're getting to do together. And the purpose of our podcast, we try to say it almost every episode, we may miss it every now and then, is just the idea of we're praying that this year that you will make one disciple with Jesus. And that's our prayer. And we hope that you'll love well the people that you encounter in the everyday that some of those that you do love well, you encourage and, and give are life-giving in their lives. Some of them are going to welcome you into their lives. Some of them are not. And the ones right. who welcome you, that you would look to invite them along into your life and mm-hmm. invite them into the rhythms that you yourselves already live in with mm-hmm. Jesus. And, and that's uh, part of the key, inviting them along. Right. And, and if you're currently uncomfortable with that or you don't know what it looks like, Invite yourself into someone else's life. <laughs> that that our congregation support a church staff right. for a reason. That's right. If, if you're uncomfortable or don't know what it might look like to invite someone into your life, reach out to a, a staff member at your church and yeah. say, "Hey, I want you to disciple me." Yeah, and uh, and let them demonstrate a model for you, just how simple it can be. Yeah, and if and if you you know some churches are larger, some churches are smaller. You may not know one of the staff members necessarily. Call Dukes. <laughs> you, you're welcome yeah, to. You got nothing to do. You I have nothing. I mean, my job's the easiest one of all, everybody. And so right. the, Just wander the hallways. That's all, all I do. All I do. Wander, drink coffee. Wander the hallways. Mm-hmm. And so I only work on. Well, I don't even work on Sundays. Exactly. Look at that. It's crazy. So, but seriously, like you, you may be a part of a church family, or even with our family of churches, and you don't know a staff member. Well, look for someone that you respect, someone yeah. that's a leader that's yep. not paid necessarily. And I know they can walk with you as well. And so very thankful for this yeah. chance. Because maybe the first I, half of the year is just them modeling for you exactly as right. you're praying, already praying for who you're going to invite into your life. And you'll just be stunned yep. at the work the Lord does in, in your life. And you will done, be. You've done a great job of emphasizing how meaningful it is to simply pray that God would give you that person. You've seen it over and over again, and I have too, yeah. how God answers that prayer because he's invited us into this. He's invited yeah. us to make disciples with him. And mm-hmm. so so don't miss that. And, and I, I, I know I speak for Paul in this. We're grateful for the chance to have these few minutes with you in this episode and hopefully encourage you in, uh, in that disciple-making effort. Well, we're in the middle of a series right now in our family of churches called The Big Story or The Big Story of God. Focuses on the idea or the the simple tool. Uh, let me say, let me rephrase that. The simple buckets of that big story 
are creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Those are very, very full buckets that can be poured out and tasted, and you can see how good those uh, that those elements of the story really are, even though some of them are hard, including the suffering of Christ. And we move into that this week, the idea, the story of redemption. And so that that element we've talked so far in the episodes that were related to this series we've talked about creation mm-hmm. we've talked about this fall the way that that we ourselves were traumatized made casualties of something that the evil one was out to do to affect to steal kill and destroy god's beloved and yet here is jesus who says no i came to give life mm-hmm. and so we move into this redemption element so Talk to us about the text that's focused in on this this particular element of this series. Yeah, so again, our core text where we're kind of paraphrasing the four phases of this big story is John 1, 10 through 14. But this specific day is uh, Romans 23, or Romans 23, Romans 3, 23 <laughs> through 26. That's right. And it really is um, it's one of the key texts in my life. And probably one of my favorite texts in all the Bible. Wow. But not for the Reformation reason. It's because of verse 26. (laughs) Sure. So let's dive in. Yeah. So verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood Mm. to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Hmm. So here's why I love that text. Tell me why you love it. Because verse 26 in particular was the first time. All right. And so this comes from a young man who grew up in the church and was Mm -hmm. there often, definitely Sunday morning, Sunday evenings, Uh sometimes Wednesday evenings as well and it's when I was probably around 24 years old and I read this text Romans 3 uh, 26 and I was reading Romans for a totally different reason yeah uh, thinking through sovereignty freedom issues and I come to this text and it, and it said to show his righteousness hmm. and so my whole life the the gospel had been about me yeah that Christ's work had been about me that he died for me all of which is true sure but this is the first time that said, well, it wasn't foremost about you. Yeah. Now, this was to demonstrate his righteousness, the That's righteousness right. of our triune God. Why? Because he had not punished sin appropriately. That's that was right. the complaint. Where are you, God? You're letting stuff go. That's right. Get down here and, and, and take care of your business. And, and this text just struck me so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's good. So first and foremost, in a way, Christ died to just, to bring justice yeah. to the name of God against the slanders yeah. that he wasn't taking sin seriously. It's so good. And then in that, in God's massive creativity, also justifies me it's good. Uh, through faith in Christ. So it's the first time that it's not about me. Yeah. I'm in God's story, not sure. the other way around. That's right. That's right. He, he's not just trying to write my story. And I say that intentionally because that's Dukes' favorite uh, launching <laughs> pad, is that we're stepping into God's story. That's right. And that's our context. I mean, that's the context of our identity. And I, what I love about this text, if you, if you, maybe you're out there and you're like us, you love seeing how the Bible in its overarching yeah. way connects, right? 
if you haven't ever recognized how Malachi 2 and 3 connect to this text, let me read you an element of Malachi 2 and, and let you see it. He gives a warning to the priests here. This is Malachi, the last uh, uh, Old Testament prophet, at least in the way that our uh, canon of the Bible is put together. It says, Therefore, this decree is for you priests. This is God speaking. If you don't listen, if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of the armies, I'll send a curse among you and I'll curse your blessings. <laughs> in fact, I've already begun to curse them because you're not taking it to heart. I'm going to rebuke your descendants. I'll spread animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifice. That's one to be very hopeful here in reading this. And you'll be taken away with it. Then you'll know that I sent you this decree so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of the armies. My covenant, and I'm reading from the CSB version here. My, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave these to him. It called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. Nothing wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should desire instruction from his mouth because he's the messenger of the Lord of the armies. You, on the other hand, have turned from the way. You've caused many to stumble. And here's where he goes. I want you to catch this. The reason I read chapter 2 is because I want you to catch where he goes with this, and it's the foundation of what Paul's writing here, and it's very similar to what he's challenging this this group in Rome with. So he goes on, he says in verse 10, don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? Why do we act treacherously against each other, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Because in Malachi, they were saying to him, "Why, why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing what we think you should be doing? Why are we having to endure this? Why why are you silent? Like all these different elements. And and he's yeah. saying back to them, you know, here's what you do. No, here's what you do. You're talking about what everyone else is doing. Here's what you do, right? And and then here's where here's where he says, verse 17 at the end of chapter 2, you've wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you ask, how have we wearied him? When you say everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight and he is delighted with them, or else where is the God of justice? Mm. Right? What he's saying here is, hey, you're saying, you're, you're doubting my goodness and my love. You're, 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 you're going around saying, yeah, this God who says he loves us, where is he right now? Right. Right? And here's where he goes with this. Please don't miss this. If you've never read Malachi... This is so rich for this idea of redemption. He says, see, I'm going to send my messenger. He will clear the way before me. This is the beginning of chapter 3. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, his coming, says the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, like launderer's bleach. He will be like a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old and years gone by. 
I will come to you in judgment, and I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hard worker, the widow and the fatherless, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien. They do not fear me, says the Lord of armies, because I, the Lord, have not changed. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. And what he's saying there, to put it just real concisely, who can stand on the day of the Lord? And he answers himself. The ones that the messenger gives his righteousness to, that's who can stand. The ones who believe I can come into this temple not because I deserve it, right? And that's the message of Job is he didn't deserve the blessings he had in the first place, nor did he deserve the curse, nor did he deserve the restoration of those blessings. And here we have Paul and Romans again unpacking that same theme. God is up to redeeming. We ourselves, we get caught and duped in this loop of we deserve better. And God is consistently saying to us, you don't want what you deserve. And that's, so that's why I decided not to give it to you. Right. Right. How merciful of God to even look us square in the eyes and say, no, 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 no. You don't want what you deserve. And so I'm going to give you my righteousness instead of what you deserve. That, that's so good. It even inspired me to talk about one of my other favorite texts in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Deuteronomy 8, verse 17. So Moses is talking to the people before they enter the land, and he says this, and it just fits so well with what you're saying. Because he promises them, when you go into the land, you're going to prosper. Hmm. But here's what you're going to be tempted to do. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. Hmm. In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your fathers hmm. as it is today. It's good. And it's just the same thing. Yeah. God, so going back to John 1, which is sort of our key, yeah. our overarching text and pulling from the wider chapter, um, he gives them the power. He gives us the power to become the children of God. That's right. We're going to be tempted to say that, God, you're not doing your job. I'm living ethically here. I'm living righteously, and you're not punishing, and, and you're not giving me the good things that I've earned through, yeah. my, through my righteous living. And he says, if you happen to be living righteously, I'm the one that's giving you the spiritual power to do it in order to confirm my yeah. covenant. Yeah. I'm the one that's giving you the power to become a member of my family. That's right. And we got to remember that. It's always, like you say, God initiated. That's right. God first. That's right. So good. Well, as we think about this text, we think about the element of, of the idea that all of us have sinned. We talked in the last episode a lot about what the evil one and what sin has done to us and how it's affected us. Two Hebrew Bible texts in the same podcast. Man, that's, that's, that's good. Impre- I'm old, proud of us. Pulling out that Old Testament. And, and I tell you, um, when we jump into this redemption side of it, we see the effect of sin yeah. that God said, you know what? I don't want to give you what you deserve. You think you want what you think you deserve? <laughs> But I, I'm, I, I love you so much, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you my goodness and righteousness. Here's what this element of redemption is all about. It's the idea that even though we are completely stained and wrecked by sin and what the evil one has done, 
that God says, but you who are broken and ungodly and not righteous, I've, I've given, like what Malachi says, you can stand again yeah. in the temple with me because yeah. I've let you in. That's right. I've given you my righteousness. Yeah. And he did that through the cross. Yeah. He did that through the empty grave. And he resurrected the life that he always intended for us to experience by dwelling with him. And in an incredibly radical way, what Paul hits upon time after time is that God went so far as to make you his temple. That's right. Uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit, take up residence in you. That's right. And you're going to become my temple. That's, that's the intimacy that our, that our triune God wants and, and has with us. It's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, you t- take that metaphor to its fullness, right? Imagine that God built the, like, the, so here in Middle Tennessee, there's this house. And the only reason I know it exists is because it's right next to a, a school where my son plays basketball. And uh, uh, a lot, and and he goes to school there, and uh, and so the gym is in a place where you can look up the hill and see this house, and so I just was curious, I, and I ended up it's for sale right now, and it's a lot of money, it's for sale, but it's this luxurious house that's been built. It's got a pool, it's got a recreation and a kind of entertainment area. The huge office on the top floor, it's like three or four floors. The huge office on the top floor opens up to this back-covered deck that looks back out over into the hills all around Middle Tennessee, into the valley that's between Franklin and Brentwood and up into those hills in Brentwood. It's really, really amazing. Imagine that God created something, I mean, infinitely greater than that for us to dwell in with him. Yeah. And yet the evil one, for some reason, shows up and dupes us into thinking that there are houses on other hills that are much better. Yeah. Right? But in the knowledge that we gain from the things that we explore, we begin to recognize, well, I could have that. Yeah. I, I, maybe, I, maybe I could have that instead of what I have here. Maybe I could own that. Hmm. Right? When in essence, God has said, well, you, but, but you own this, right? With me, you own this with me. I'm making you kingdom and priest. Like I, you own this with me. No, no, no. I, I want that. And now all of a sudden in this knowledge, we even start taking advantage of the very thing that he's given to us and we're removed from it. And in the process, here's this empty house that sits there for a while while we are out thinking we can own all these other places and then the son shows up, buys that house again, fixes it back up, and invites us right back mm-hmm. in. Right? Every metaphor breaks down. Because <laughs> that's all we can ever do is think of right. divinity in metaphorical terms. But, but even that metaphor breaks down. But that's an idea or a simple um, comparison of, of kind of what redemption is about. What it is that God is buying back as that word means, what it is that he is paying a price for mm-hmm. so that we can be owners with him again. And it's one of the gifts and the curses of, of our tradition here as conservative evangelicals is we we are cross people. Mm-hmm. Um, like Paul said, um, you know, I preach Christ and him crucified. That's, yeah. that's what we're about. But the good news is more than that. It's the whole story of Christ. From ascension to 
ascension, I mean, from incarnation to ascension right. and then ultimate return. And so we, we can't forget that. Um, and we want to keep this idea of redemption as the whole body and work. So often I'll say the person and work of Christ. Yeah. So that this eternally existing uh, immaterial spirit that we call the second person became flesh, stepped right. into the world, you know, see Philippians, lived a sinless life, because if that doesn't happen, then there is no atonement, mm. and then was offered up as the atoning sacrifice for us, but then was raised from the dead. That's right. I mean, if, if, if Christ wasn't raised, then he was just some crazy guy who got himself killed. Yeah, that's right. He really was. And this is what many people thought, but it's because he was resurrected that he got the stamp of approval for he actually is the Messiah. He is the one yeah. that reconciles That's right. and then ascends to prepare a place for us and then ultimately coming back. Redemption is all of that. Yeah. You know, we got to keep them all close to, you know, close to the heart. It's good. It's really good. Otherwise, we'll tend to love them and leave them. Yeah, know, that's right. Dunk them and, and, and move on. And, but sanctification matters. That's right. And that's disciple exactly. making is often more than that and goes beyond that. Well, to me, and we've talked about it before, you hit it on the head right there. And, and the disciple making mission and purpose, the life giving, like let, let's even take that buzzword out. Mm-hmm. Let, let's say it's not about quote unquote disciple making, right? Because even in the New Testament, they move away from that phraseology as they exit the the Israeli Hebrew um, Judaic culture and they move more to a family metaphor mm-hmm. right instead of like apprentice metaphor they move to a family metaphor in the Greek culture e- even if we take that out of the way let's just say that we've been invited into a life giving purpose that's that is what our sanctification becomes geared toward it isn't a self-absorbed spiritual journey it is a life-giving journey it's a it's a maturing that happens as we give that life with jesus to others the very life that he resurrected the very life that he redeemed from the trauma the casualty that the evil one brought into the picture into reality with us and 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 the suffering of that right the reason we can stand in that temple is because he paid right Right, He paid that price himself. He took the effects of sin upon himself. You look at the text again in Romans 3, right? And he says right there, um, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Verse 24, God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. Right, like God's mercy shows up and says, yeah. "This is what propitiation's about." I love how my dad always explained propitiation. Mm-hmm. He said it's an Old Testament picture of the two um, angelic figures that sit on top of the Ark of the Covenant, and it's the idea of all of our things that are corrupt and broken meet God's mercy at that place. It's this picture of. I'm making a covenant with you that you bring your sins to the covenant and I bring my mercy to the covenant. And in the collision... As opposed to the wrath that you're warranted. That's exactly right. And in that collision where my wrath should be... like that's And that's what I think the readers of Malachi... The reason the readers of Malachi, the people who were hearing that message, would be taken aback is because he basically says to them, "Well, well, guess what? 
you will be able to. You didn't think you would be able. You're going to wake up and realize, yeah. I can't stand. That's right. Like how Isaiah does when he's in God's presence and says, well, who am I? Right? I, you know, but then he says, here am I when he realizes when he realizes that he's being cleansed and forgiven. Yeah. And that's what's happening, the mercy meeting the sin. And that's what the idea of propitiation yeah. is. And it's a good word to know. It's your theological term, propitiation. Sure. The other side of that, and this is why the CSB uses atoning sacrifice, mm-hmm. I think, is that Jesus secures that propitiation for us. He was that propitiation. That's right. But he also secures expiation for us. That's your other word. <laughs> and that would be more like paying reparations, what's yeah. owed on an offense. So if I were to come by and you know, drive my car through your mailbox, I would owe you something uh, to pay for that. Yeah. And Christ does both of these. He yeah. appeases the wrath and we grant mercy where wrath ought to be. And he pays the appropriate reparation well, and, for our rebelliousness. And let's not miss what you just said. That's the cross and the resurrection. Yeah. Right? The resurrection is the I put the mail by. And I know, again, every metaphor is incredibly um, small compared to what it really is comparing to, um, what it's relating to. But if, if I drove over your mailbox, it, right, then that's the offense. Then me not, it isn't just that I come and say I'm sorry for that offense. <laughs> right. No, I resurrect the mailbox. Like yes. I put the mailbox back up. Right. And I think that's the essence of it. I mean, to use yeah. that metaphor that you that's use. That's right. I so, think that's, yeah, go yeah, ahead. No, no, I think in terms of disciple making, um, this is what we imitate. Yeah. We, we mimic Christ. We mimic the incarnation is that we go to people. We invite them into our lives. That's, that's right. incarnation. Uh, we, we, we don't live the sinless life that we ought to. But we do talk about the spiritual power that we rely on to live more righteously than yesterday. That's right. And we don't try to fix them. Yes. Our mercy meets them like how God's mercy has met us. Mercy meets them. We don't just try to fix those people. We let them discover that mercy meets them there just like it met us. And we are are better off to show them how the gospel of Jesus is changing us, making a difference in us, than we are trying to hold it up and say, this is what you need to change. Live up to it. That's right. (laughs) Yep. We sacrifice for them. One of the most brilliant things you've ever said, it was our Living Sense series a few years ago. And I think you came to the preaching team that Monday, and you said, or maybe Jay Strother just quoted you, uh, but this sermon series and the way we live sent for others sometimes is not about doing an extra thing in our life. It's about what we might need to give up to make space in our life mm. for other people. There's sacrifices to be had if you're going to be a disciple maker. That's right. That's right. And you've got to be okay with that. That's right. And you're not going to be okay with that unless you understand the sacrifice Christ made for you. That's right. And then we model the resurrection. And that's where I think that transformational story you talk about comes in. Yeah. Is that we didn't stay dead. That's right. Christ, Christ raised us and broke the bondage of sin. We don't fear death. We fear no thing. That's right. And then we point to the future hope that Christ is preparing a place for us. That's the life we mimic for those yet to believe. Yep. To demonstrate it's worth it. And That's it's, right. It's joyous. That's right. And, and, like how, and so how beautiful it is that we've been invited with Jesus to live a life that is life-giving into the broken places of our world. And then we can invite other people along with us to serve, to eat, abide, to, to, to go be life-giving with him in those broken places. And then we all, at the same time, are continuing to realize how his mercy has met us in our brokenness, how it's redeemed us. And so, you know, to me, that's the, that's the, the, the element of this story that ought to completely captivate us. 
Right, and 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 I'm not trying to be controversial when I say this at all, but like I, I hear songs and I hear sermons when people will say, "You died where in my place where I should have died," and what 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 I think they're trying to say there is, "I deserved death." What I don't want us to think that that means is that we could have taken his place on the cross or that we should have been on that cross. We, mm-hmm. we shouldn't have been on that cross. What he did on that cross was much bigger than just substituting for my personal death. It was much bigger than that. It was an us mm-hmm. effect, not just a personal one-on-one me effect. And, and so let's catch the fullness of what, when we've seen that, what we're trying to say what you just said, we, he redeemed us. How Paul writes in Ephesians, you have been saved, right? It's, it's in, the, in a tense, in the perfect tense to say this is completed. The cross did its work. Believe it, right? Mm. And that's the challenge to us then in this disciple-making life. Help people see this is what the cross has already yes. done. Yep. And let's believe. Yeah, what, we've, already, we've already won. That's right. Yeah. Christ Let, is victorious. Let's believe that resurrection life that was resurrected. Let's believe that, <clears throat> let's not believe what the evil one has been trying to get us to believe, yeah. that God is not good and is not loving. And that we're still dead. That's right. Let's don't believe that. Mm-hmm. Let's believe what has already been secured. And I, right. I, think, um, I think that element of it is so crucial as we're making disciples to help people understand this is what has happened. Yeah. And now you get to walk in it. Hey, walk in it with me. Yep. Walk That's in it, it as I keep realizing it, as I keep understanding its implications in my life. May I try to guess your equipping moment for <laughs> sure. today? Sure. Because it's something I've heard you say a lot. And, and, and if it's wrong, it can be wrong because you might have a special equipping moment. <laughs> but my guess is you're going to say, preach the gospel to yourself. Yeah. As an equipper, in a way, it can be counterintuitive. We think we always ought to be preaching the gospel to someone showing the gospel to someone that's not wrong yeah but it starts with always preaching the gospel to yourself I, I, that that's what it was going to be so you yeah. did so unpack right. it yeah well i think i think what's so important and I, mike glenn's has said this i've heard him say when you have a gospel conversation with someone really what you're doing is telling them the difference jesus has made in your life yeah and he's exactly right and and the reason jesus makes a difference in our lives is because we've not only believed once the gospel, but we've continued believing it, and mm-hmm. we've continued reminding ourselves of it. I was at a funeral uh, yesterday for one of my sons. Uh, my one of my my son, my oldest son, lost um, a classmate and mm. um, a friend, and he wasn't super close to him, but 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 uh, but he was close with one of the guys who was his best friend, and um, so he was there to support him and. And I just was reminded again, this young life lost. I was reminded again of how how meaningful it is to keep reminding ourselves of what the good news is and why we're here yep. and what our purpose is. Because what they t- said about this young man that passed away, what they said about every, everyone who spoke about him said this. They said his unrelenting joy, because he faced some ongoing medical problems, mm-hmm and passed as a young man. And they said that his unrelenting joy in the face of all of that was such a reminder to everyone who was around him. Mm. And that's what preaching the gospel to yourself is all about. 
It's reminding yourself, even when you're a skeptic, even when you doubt, even when you feel like, how can I be forgiven? Even when you feel the most insecure you've ever felt, or maybe even when you feel the most depressed you've ever felt, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and some people like Lauren Daigle, some people don't, but her song, You Say, is a great example of preaching the gospel to yourself. It's, she says, I, these are the things I think in my head, but, but you say I'm loved, right? You say that I belong to you, that kind of idea. And, and it's that reminder of yeah. what God has said or spoken over yeah, us. Perfect. I think about all the refrains in our Hebrew Bible. Um, when you go into the promised land, remember your God who brought you out of mm, Egypt. That's good. When you go back and rebuild the temple, remember your God who brought you out of Babylon. And they got to reflect on these momentary um, redemptions that weren't eternal. Yeah. We get to reflect and remember yep. a cosmic redemption where Christ broke sin and death. That's right. And we get to live like alive people. Yeah. And we and we ought to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, but we don't always. Yeah. And preaching this gospel to ourselves keeps that in front of us. And That's right. Let's live like new creatures. That's right. I like that unrelenting joy. Well, and like you said, like you just said, it really is about reminding myself, you know what, God, I don't have to be good for you. I I get to be good with you Hmm. because you gave me your goodness. And that that's the because I think that's where we trip up is we keep thinking, well, what do I have to do for God? No, 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 no. He's done for us and now invites us to do with him. And let's don't miss that. Right. To me, that's what he's bought back. It's this come live in the house with me. Come abide with me. Right. Don't go out chasing your own fiefdoms. Come be a part. Trust me on this. As as someone who's looked at a lot of different philosophical systems and other religions, there's no other offer like that one. No. And and any temporal offer that sounds like it uh, just won't live up. Just like the house you described, just won't live up yep. to the to the goodness that God's prepared for His people. So good. What we want to mention is we're closing again the immersion conference. It's coming up the last weekend of February, twenty yep, eighth and 29th. ninth. So. It's on the Brentwood campus. Yep. And tell us, tell our listeners in case they didn't hear the explanation last episode. Just no. remind them again why we do this this particular conference. We do it to go deeper. Again, the logo is a scuba diver going in the depths of the water, and as believers, we ought to do that as well. We ought to go deeply into the scriptures and the worldview, and analyze and think deeply, um, think hard about what the gospel means for the way we live it out. Yeah. So we'll bring in experts in their fields, whether in the arena of politics, culture, worldview, like Russell Moore, Gabe Lyons have both been here, or biblical studies, George Guthrie, um, and of course Jeff Wyman is here for mm-hmm. the for the second time. Um, just going to take us to a to a deeper place. Very cool. Focus is going to be Dr. Wyman is going to take us into Revelation chapters two and three, and uh, we said it last time. We'll say it again. The idea isn't just to go deeper for myself, but to go deeper and see what that truth of God's word compels me to do with him. And and I'm going to give you a little preview, and I forgot to mention this last time, um, but I'm going to put it in the show notes of the previous episode, that we have a bonus podcast that Roger Severino did with Dr. Wyma. Very cool. uh, Where they had a good conversation, and we're going to release that under this this title just to give you a taste of what Dr. Wyma's going to do. He's worth it. Yeah, very cool. He's worth the time. Friday so, night, Saturday morning. That's what I was going to say. So come check it out. I think it starts around 6 or 7 that night. I don't know. Is there a meal? Inc- meal's not included, right? Or you, Usually there's heavy hors d'oeuvres. Yeah, some some type of. Sounds uh, proper. Yeah. 
There's good fellowship, in other words, That's with right. some yummy <laughs> food. <laughs> but if you need to grab a bite before, go ahead and do it. But but come and hang with him that Friday night, that Saturday morning. It'll be a special time. And um, and then if you're in the Middle Tennessee area and you're listening to us and you don't have a church family that you're a part of, our family of churches, you can check out BrentwoodBaptist.com, StationHillChurch.com, AvSouthChurch.com, and I can go on and on. But if you go to any of those websites, um, at the top it says Select a Campus, and you can hit that and see where our different campuses are across Middle Tennessee. And if you are a part of a church family, we we are not inviting you necessarily to do that. We don't want to take you from those. We just encourage you to be equipping for disciple-making right where you are. And our hope is to see 100 healthy congregations doing just that across Middle Tennessee. Yep, yep. yep. So thank you for joining us today, and uh, we'll see you next time. We're, we're in the next episode. We'll wrap up the series that we're currently in and talk about restoration, and we look forward to doing that with you next time. As we say every time, you can shoot us a note, P. Wilkinson at BrentwoodBaptist.com, J. Dukes at BrentwoodBaptist.com. If you have any questions or thoughts, and we appreciate you listening, and we'll uh, talk to you next time. Thank you.